1994, Wang Minkings, I think that's his surname, Wang Minkings' three-year-old daughter wandered away from their fruit store in southwestern China. As soon as the family noticed that she had gone missing, um, they started looking for her. Wang started shouting uh, his daughter's name, uh, desperately asking uh, the shoppers at the market to see if they had seen anything of the three-year-old. But to no avail. In fact, they spent the next weeks and months uh, wandering about in the neighborhood uh, until late in the evening. Uh, they would often go out there looking for the three-year-old, and uh, they would come back home and look at the um, look at her clothes in the wardrobe and be reminded of everything uh, that they had now lost. Uh, the, the, the daughter was nowhere to be seen. What is the father supposed to do when his daughter goes missing? Well, Mr. Wang simply kept searching. He kept looking for his daughter. And then he hit upon an idea, uh, an interesting idea. He decided to become a taxi driver. He said, perhaps if I become a taxi driver, I could, through becoming a taxi driver, earn a bit of money and also give out flyers wherever I go. You know, strangers I meet, I could, you know, they, they could see the poster in the cab, as it were, and I could give out different flyers to different areas. That's what he did. And he kept doing this, actually, for many, many years, uh, 24 years, even. Thank God, in, uh, after 24 years of searching, Mr. Wang was reunited with his daughter as people found out about it. But it took him 24 years. In last year, April last year, he was reunited with his three-year-old. Well, she was grown up now, <laughs> all right? She left when she was three. And I think uh, when they were reunited, she was, of course, 27. There's something that warms our hearts uh, about such stories about parents not giving up. Well, I think many of us that know, for example, the missing of Madeleine McCann. Uh, well, Madeleine McCann, right? Yes. Uh, Kate, the mother especially, has been looking, continues to look even up to this day for Madeleine McCann. Such stories, you know, they strike our hearts. We, 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 we love seeing people really doing all they can to be with those they love. Uh, this is actually what all of us want in our lives, isn't it? We want to know there is someone who loves us so much that they would literally move heaven and earth to be with us. Now, we are currently in Mark. Uh, the book of Mark is about that someone, actually. Uh, someone who loves us so much that he has overcome all obstacles to be with us. Someone who loves us not just in this life, but in the life to come. He loves his love is beyond the grave. He's come to be with us, not just for now, to seek us out for now, but to be with us forever. Someone who cares for us, and his care never comes short. Someone with power to deal with every struggle we are facing in our lives. And of course, this someone is Jesus. So let us go and meet him. Uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 6, and we look at verse 47 to verse 52. Because this passage really tells us something about the, the, the assuring presence of this man, Jesus Christ. This man who is also God with us. 
And there are just three truths I just want us to see in this passage as we look at this, this passage. The first truth I want us to see is that everyone struggles. Everyone struggles. Now this morning we left Jesus praying at the mountain, right? In the mountain in the evening and he did that after dismissing the crowd. Well, his disciples, uh, he let go of the disciples. He also sent them out and then he dismissed the crowd and then he went on to pray. Now, his disciples are out at sea by themselves. We see that in, um, uh, in verse 47 where Jesus is now left alone. Verse 47 reads of Mark chapter 6. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he, the boat that is the boat the disciples are in. And he was alone on the land. So the disciples are sailing off. And Jesus can actually see them as they've sailed off in the evening. And as he sees them, he can see that they sh- what should be a fairly normal journey for the disciples is beginning even earlier on in this stage, late in the evening as he's going up, I guess, up on the mountain. They're beginning to struggle as they sail off, so to speak, in the, on the scene. Let's, let's read on verse 48. And he saw them that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So this is early in the evening, that late evening, so to speak. It's not yet deep in the night. He's seen them going off and they are struggling uh, from the vantage point where he is at. Now, on, on Sunday morning uh, uh, last year, um, 30th of April, actually, no, 2017, actually, uh, 30th of April, uh, 23-year-old Matthew Bryce from North Lanarkshire uh, decided also to go out, you know, he had decided to go out surfing as he always does on Sundays. And as he drove off there from the Kintia Peninsula, um, was very excited about the day that lay ahead of him. You know, he, he dusted off his surfboard and uh, at 11 a.m. he went out to catch a bit of waves on the sea. So as he was out there, though things changed dramatically. Uh, he started to panic. The tide and the winds as he was surfing began carrying him into the sea. And what had become like a wonderful day of surfing for, for Matthew, all of a sudden was a complete nightmare. Because you see, on any surfing day, Matthew should only be in the water for four hours. But now as the sun sets, he's there. From 11 a.m. late in the night now, going beyond, and he actually loses his hope of rescue. What become, as a normal day, all of a sudden, dramatically changed. But God's grace, Matthew, was eventually uh, rescued. But his situation like, is similar to the disciples, isn't it? Uh, the, the day starts off normal. All of a sudden, you find yourself struggling at sea. Life is full of me- those many moments in our lives. We begin a normal day, and all of a sudden, we are blown off course by some unexpected situation that arises. This is what's happened to the disciples, and all of us know something of this. Now, the interesting thing here is we have to realize is that the disciples are struggling now, not because of some sin they have committed. No, they have just 
out there and straight into this difficult situation. In fact, it is Jesus who taught them to get out on the sea. And we might ask ourselves, how is this possible that Jesus had sent them out into the sea? Well, the simple answer is, everyone struggles, including obedient followers of Jesus. And many of our struggles, whether in our individual lives or in the life of the church, are perhaps nothing to do with sin at all. It's just life. Everyone struggles. And sometimes our struggles are sharp turn of events that threaten our lives, like in the case of the disciples. At the moment, their life is being threatened. Perhaps an unexpected call from the doctor that gives you a bad diagnosis you hadn't expected. Sometimes struggles are like that. Most of them are perpetual struggles that blows us off course. Situations in life that makes us feel we are not making any progress at all in our lives. We are just not going anywhere. We are blowing against the wind as it were. Or the wind is blowing us off. I'll leave you to work out which one is that, right? I think it's the wind blowing us off, right? You are advancing in years, right? And with each year that passes, you feel more and more helpless. Because you are not able to do the things that you used to do. The wind of life is blowing against you. And all of a sudden, you can't function the way you used to. The trajectory of your vibrance has changed in a direction you don't expect. You are increasingly finding it difficult to rise above your low feelings. There was a time when nothing would get you down. But as sometimes now, situation has changed that you just feel helpless. And it's getting worse because people around you often don't understand when people are feeling low. So you find that no one around is helping, not even in the church. Uh, you know, in the church, if somebody's unwell in the hospital with physical illness, it's easy to see that. We go there, we visit. We don't we? by God's grace. But if somebody perpetually feels low, they might not even get a home visit. The bottom line is that life is a struggle. And as you sit here this morning, uh, this evening, yeah, evening, <coughs> uh, you actually know this already. And you may be wondering as I'm speaking, Chola, why are you telling her this? This is obvious. Yes, we can see it in the passage, but actually, frankly, it is obvious. Well, the reason I'm telling you this is for a good reason. We need to be aware that our struggles have the power to make us lose sight of the only person who can help us in our struggles. The challenge of our struggles is not so much that they are are very difficult. I mean, they are, but the bigger challenge is that they have a blinding effect. They blur us from seeing Jesus. Struggles blurs the vision of Jesus. This is our second point. The first point is that everyone struggles. What is the big deal? Well, the big deal is that struggles blurs our vision of Jesus. Let's resume the journey with the disciples. So the disciples are out of the sea struggling. Now, if we imagine that Mark is filming this, uh, we can see Jesus now alone at the mountain in prayer. He's seen the situation, but he's carrying on praying. And he's going to be there for a while, actually. 
We could go into that point, but we just, I'll leave it for you to reflect on that. He's seen the situation, but he's actually carrying on praying. And we can see it is getting dark. But then, after a few moments, as we watch this video of Mark, the frame changes. The timeline has changed. Perhaps from 9 p.m., now we are looking at 3 a.m., perhaps 4 a.m. It is a bit brighter as we look at this. And we can see that we are not looking at the mountain now. We are now looking at the sea. And we can see as we look at the sea that there's a little boat out there and it is going tepsy-turvy down there at the sea. It is all over the place. It's tossing about. And yet, as we look at this little boat there at the sea, we can see a figure, a man, walking on the waves towards the boat. And we can see the people in the boat are crying out in terror. Ah! Pandemonium has broken out. Well, here is how Mark records this video we are watching. Look at this. Let's carry on verse 48. I will just read verse 48. It says, And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking, that is that's Jesus, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Right? He meant to pass by them, he tells us. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. The disciples have seen a man walking. Jesus, we know. And they are now mistaking him for an evil spiritual being. They are failing to see that it is our Lord Jesus walking on top of the raging waves. The disciples have forgotten that Jesus sent them ahead of him. Right? So he was always planning to come to them. Even though he didn't say how he was going to join them, there is a sense in which they shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has actually turned up. They should be surprised that the transport is taken, but they shouldn't be surprised that he's there. Jesus' water walk is amazing. But the disciples are not going gaga at Jesus doing this. No, they are terrified of him. Why? Why are they terrified of Jesus? I think they're terrified of him because of the raging waves. It is the waves that has distorted Jesus' their view of Jesus. And the lesson we're learning here is that struggles in life can prevent us from seeing Jesus clearly because the raging winds of life can make everything around us appear threatening, including Jesus. It's a sobering thought. You need to reflect on that. You need to take that in. You need to hear that again. Struggles in life we experience can prevent us seeing Jesus clearly because the raging winds of life can make everything appear threatening, including 
our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know that you sit here this evening, you do not feel Jesus is a threat to your life. When I said that, you thought, sure, that's ridiculous. Jesus, me feeling threatened by Jesus? I've never experienced that. Ever since I was converted, Jesus is my loving Lord. You do not think you have a blurred view of Jesus. I know that. You don't think that. And I'm guessing, as you heard me speak, many of you were saying, well, I see Jesus clearly. It is Jackie over there who does not love her husband who has a blinkered view of Jesus. It is Mark over there who has never forgiven Monica. He does not have the heart of Jesus because we can see clearly he does not have the forgiving heart of Jesus. I can see how Mark can be terrified of Jesus. I'm not terrified of Jesus. I don't have those problems. Very few of us are willing to admit we have a distorted view of Jesus. To the point that we wrongly regard Jesus as a threat in our daily lives. But if you pause to reflect on your life, beloved, just pause for a minute. Slow down, pause, think. And as you meditate in your life, it won't take you long to see that you do not believe always that Jesus means well for you. You often question the love and care of God in your life. You often wonder whether you're trusting the wrong Jesus. Now I know those are bold statements and you're saying, so how do you know that? You can't see my heart. How do you know that? I know because you and me are the same. We are sinners. Every time you sin, you are saying, God does not know what is best for me. That's what sin is. Every time you lie, you say, yeah, the truth is okay, but God doesn't know what, what's best for me. So he tells me to tell the truth, I want to lie. <laughs> Every time you get angry, you think, God can't take care of me. I need to be angry so that I can get my way. Sin is practical atheism. It is a rejection of the very existence and rule of God in the world. And we are all sinners. So even with our, without, without our struggles, our sinful nature blurs the very image of Jesus. You sin because you have a distorted view of who Jesus is. Now what the struggles do is essentially widen the distortion field, to borrow from Star Trek language. You, it just widens the distortion. You couldn't see it before clearly because of your sin. Struggles amplify that. They make it harder for you. It was already hard. Struggles make it harder for you to, to trust Jesus even more. You see, every act of obedience comes down to whether we can trust the other person with our fears. Can I trust the doctor during this operation? If the answer is yes, if I'm happy with my doctor, good GP, then of course I'll go ahead with the operation. Can I trust this pilot to fly me from here to Timbuktu? If, 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 if I can, I'll, I'll happily get on the plane. If I can't, I'll get a different airline. Every act of obedience comes down to whether we can trust the person who's at the other end. And this is also true with Jesus. 
When you know that Jesus means well for you, you trust him with your struggles. You will keep your focus on him. Now, many of us trust the doctor and the pilot more than Jesus. We do, honestly. We ask less questions of our doctors and pilots than we ask of the Lord. We are more willing to surrender to the diagnosis of the doctor than we are to Jesus. We are not willing to surrender our problems to Jesus and his loving hands. And that is the fact, isn't it? Because we think to ourselves, I want to surrender to Jesus. I want to surrender my wallet to Jesus. But I'm in a financial mess, right? Okay, so let's say the issue is surrendering your wallet. I, I would really love to surrender my wallet to Jesus, right? To give him my money for his work and other things. But I'm in a financial mess. And if I start giving money to Jesus to support his work, how will I pay my mortgage? If I send James Ammons some money just like that, where, how will I survive? Who will look after me? Who? We should let that question hang there, shouldn't we? I want to honor Jesus with my life as a single person. I really do. But if I just stay sexually pure, what if Jesus just takes that for granted and decides never to give me a partner? Oh no. What if I never fall in love? I can't trust Jesus on this issue. I can't trust him. I want to forgive Jenny for all she says behind my back in the office. I really do. But if I do that without a word, what if Jesus just lets Jenny get away with it? And Jenny now just starts treating me like a doormat. I can't do that. I've got to talk to Jenny. I've got to confront her about this. I've got to take the issue into my own hands. You see, you see what's going on here? It is not that we tell Jesus, point blank, he's a threat to us. We just think that Jesus, let me borrow a phrase from the millennials. We just think that Jesus sometimes is ghosting us. Right? That's the phrase millennials use. When you met someone and they disappear for a while, the word is ghosting. Right? And sometimes we feel like that with Jesus. We trust him, but we feel like at critical moments in our lives, he may ghost us. He may completely disappear and we may not see him around for a while. He will do things his way. We have a blurred vision of Jesus. It's not because we're not believers. It's just that sin distorts our vision of Jesus. And the struggles we are in distorts our vision of Jesus. By the way, this is why, this is why, beloved, when you are struggling with whatever issue in your life, especially illness, or whatever circumstances, you need believers. You need to be around them. Now, I'm probably jumping ahead of application here, but I just, I just have to make that point. that It is that, that most when we are struggling that we need others. We need to be around others. Of course, they order us to pray for you and give you some oil or whatever it is. But the, <laughs> I don't mean that. What I do mean is simply, prayer is important, of course. You need people to pray for you. But you need to be around believers because if you're struggling in your life, you're going to have even a more distorted view of Jesus. Because just struggles do that, as we're seeing here with the 
disciples. And when struggles distort our view of Jesus, what happens is that we remain joyless and afraid. There's the, the raging sea that is out there now rages in our hearts. We become restless. But thank God that we serve a Jesus who's not content to leave us like that. No, there's good news in this passage. The good news in this passage is that Jesus has come to us. He's still with us. The divine presence of Jesus overcomes our struggles. And that's the third and final point here. The, the first point is that everyone struggles. Point number two is struggles blurs our vision of Jesus. But the good news is this. The divine presence of Jesus overcomes our struggles. So, let's go back to the disciples here. We see the disciples are scared they have seen a ghost. By the way, we should not just dare that. The fact that they are terrified is very strange. I mean, these guys, not too long ago, they were casting out demons left, right, and center throughout Galilee. Now they see some spiritual, what they think is some spiritual evil being. They should be dealing with this issue up front, not running away from the ghost and crying for their life. That's what they're doing here. They have, of course, forgotten that Jesus had already empowered them. But let's go back to just a side point there. The disciples are scared they have seen a ghost, and they are crying out. And immediately, Jesus, our loving Lord, calls out to them. Look at verse 50. 50. Let's continue there. For they all saw him and were terrified. But, and this is a wonderful but, but immediately he, Jesus, spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is high, do not be afraid. The Lord gently speaks to them. He calls out to them. And after he assures them that it is him, he jumps into the tossing boat. Let's read on verse 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. By the way, I just plug up that other accounts, of course, what Mark has left out here, uh, for, because he's focusing us on Jesus, is that in the account, in Matthew, I think, Peter, of course, when, when they see Jesus, Peter does call out to the Lord, and Peter walks for a bit, and of course he staggers and so forth. But Mark, who's recording this from, through Peter's eyes, wants to focus us on Jesus, not the people in the boat. And what we see here on Jesus is that Jesus has reached out to them. He's got into the boat. And as soon as he gets in the boat, well, verse 51 tells us, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. It is dead calm everywhere. And the disciples are now shocked at this. Let's read on verse 51. And they were utterly astounded. And Mark is not impressed with how his mentor, Peter, and his friends have reacted because he goes on to comment in verse 52. Why are they astounded? Well, it's actually not a good thing in this case. This is not good amazement. For they did not understand about the laws, but their hearts were hardened. Mark is saying the disciples are reacting like this because they have still not let the point of miracles. They have not learned the point, especially of the last miracle that we looked at last Sunday of the feeding of the 5,000. That was the most obvious miracle, right? And they didn't get it. That's why they don't get this one. 
And as we said last week, all miracles Jesus is doing are meant to answer two questions, if you remember. They're answering two questions. The first question is, who is this Jesus? The second question is, what has Jesus come to do? And here we can see the answer to both questions. Because this miracle, again, like the miracle last week, is revealing that Jesus is the God of Israel. We know that because here Mark presents Jesus walking on the water, something that only God can do. And only God can do that because we know that because Job says so. Job says this in Job 9, verse 8 to 11. Feel free to turn there. Job 9, verse 11 to 8. You might want to turn there. We don't always go to Job. Uh, it's a good opportunity for you to read a bit of Job. Uh, Job 9, verse 8 to 11. Says this, speaks of God, Job is speaking, who alone stretched out the heavens, verse 8, and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Job there tells us two things. What Jesus is doing is actually a direct fulfillment of what Job says. Because in Job 8, it's talking about God trampling the waves of the sea. And verse 11 makes clear that Jesus passes by the disciples without them even seeing, briefly without them seeing him. It is, but Jesus doing this is, it, it, we are to be reminded of the words of Job, essentially. That the God of Job is the Lord Jesus Christ, appearing in person. And by the way, that wonderful phrase there of Jesus, you see in Mark here, um, where, where it says in verse 48, he meant to pass by them. Not only should he remind us of Job 9 verse 11, it should also remind us of how the Lord passed by Moses to show him his glory. And, and as the disciples cry out when Jesus passes by, Jesus responds with what words does he respond with? Take heart, it is high. High, right? The words in the original language, take heart, it is high, literally should say, take heart, I am. Take heart, I am. And these are the very words God spoke to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3 verse 14. And they are the words Jesus declared in John 8, verse 58. Jesus said, truly, truly, I said to you, before Abraham was, I am, ego, emi. Mark, you see, is showing us that Jesus not only walks where only God walks, he also bears God's name. He is the I am. Jesus is God appearing in person. So this miracle answers the first question, who is Jesus? It also answers the second question. What has Jesus come to do? It is a road sign pointing us to destination, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for us. Where do we see that? Well, in this miracle, notice, Jesus does not speak to the wind. To come it as he did in Mark chapter 4. 
Here, this miracle, Jesus comes to see by simply getting into the boat. Right? It is his presence in the boat that comes the storm. And here is the key point. You see, in order for Jesus to calm the storm, he has to avoid, a lot, he has to overcome a lot of obstacles. What obstacle does Jesus have to overcome? Which obstacle does he overcome to get the disciples? He overcomes the sea itself, doesn't he? he well, I don't know, maybe you walk on water. But I don't. And, and, and to do that, Jesus has to overcome the sea. He has to walk on it, something no one can do. The sea has power, and the power is to drown you, right? Jesus walks on the sea. He tramples it underfoot. You see, in the Old Testament, the sea is often pictured as the threat of death. We see that in Jonah chapter 2, uh, or Jonah 1 and chapter 2. You can see it in Psalm 69, verse 1 to 2. Human beings cannot live in water, let alone walk on water. Even a good swimmer will eventually drown in death if he cannot reach land. And stormy waters are a sure way, you know, to the grave. That's the easiest way for anyone on sea to get there. If, 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 if you go waves and waves and waves, death is coming. It's inevitable. You can't conquer the sea, let alone conquer the sea, trampling with waves, as it were, or, or in a stormy sea. So by Jesus walking on the stormy water, he preserves himself. He's overcoming the obstacle of physical death to be with his disciples. We might say Jesus going to the disciples conquers death in order to be with them. That is what this miracle is showing us. The miracle symbolizes that Jesus is rescuing his followers from the power of death in a permanent way. He is conquering death for them and us. And the death from which Jesus rescues us encompasses not only physical death that we see him conquering here, but spiritual death. Because you see, the physical death is a manifestation of that deeper death. The fact that we've been cut off from the very life of God. And by Jesus overcoming death, here, preserving himself, is pointing out that he has come now to unite us with God forever and restore spiritual life to us. This miracle is pointing us therefore forward to the ultimate death of Jesus on the cross for us and his resurrection from death that gives us new life with God. And this means that if you are trusting in Jesus this evening, you have new life with God. And because you have new life with God, you have no reason to doubt that Jesus means well for you. You have no reason to behave as the disciples have behaved. You need to hear his word in verse 50 and believe it. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Take heart, it is high. Do not be afraid. Because you have new life in Jesus, whatever situation you are facing, Jesus is saying to you, do not give in to fear. Take heart. It is I. Jesus is saying, I am present in your situation. Whatever situation you are facing, I have not gone anywhere. 
My divine presence is with you. I am in the middle of your storm. Take heart. It is I. I am in your difficult marriage. Yes, you feel lonely at the moment. You, you don't feel perhaps the support from your spouse. But I am here with you. Take heart. It is I. I am with you in the illness of your loved one that you are facing. I have not ghosted you. We are in this together. Do not be afraid. Take heart. It is high. Take heart. It is I. I am in your difficult work situation. Yes, you feel exhausted managing the staff. Sometimes you feel you can barely able to cope. But don't look at the problem. Look at me. Take heart. It is I. And I think he's looking at us as a church, isn't it? He? He's saying, Grace Baptist Church basically here. Yes, you are small. Yes, you are facing difficult challenges. Yes, you are in a small corner where yes, I see even the unbelief among you. Just like these disciples. But take heart. It is I. I am with you. I am still the one who walks among the lampstands. Beloved, can the boat of life sink when God the Son is in it? Can it? Can a boat sink if Jesus is in it? Well, the answer is this, isn't it? It can't. Not a chance. And so let us truly turn to Jesus. Surrender all our troubles to him. Jesus the I am is with us. And the way for us to truly trust Jesus is to hear and believe his word. The redemptive provision in this passage is that Jesus speaks. So when you're doing your Bible studies at home, one of the things you should be doing quite often is simply ask, you can understand perhaps what's going on in the passage, but always ask this question, this is what I ask. What is the grace in this passage? What has God given me in this passage to help me trust him? That's a good question to ask when you're doing your own Bible study. That the grace of the passage here, of course, is the presence of Jesus. But more than that, the means of grace are also shown here, aren't they? That Jesus has given us his word. Beloved, he still speaks in the scriptures. And if you're going to have a faith that is growing, that is strong, you've got to study the word of God. You've got to sit under the teaching of the word of God. Prioritize that. You've got to memorize the word of God. And you've got to speak the word of God to other believers and encourage them to speak to you about it. Because no matter how long you've walked with Jesus, you still need to be reminded of the words of Jesus. Take heart. It is I. And as long as we're studying the word of God, we will keep our hearts soft. The disciples had become ardent. But if we can keep studying God's word, our hearts won't become hardened because we'll be refreshed by the word of God. We'll be longing to know more of Jesus. And the word of God will keep us focused that actually this rescue that Jesus has provided is only the beginning. And no matter my situation at the moment, even if they don't change, 
I am headed to the new heavens and the new earth. Because ultimately, Jesus coming of the storm is a wonderful picture of what lies ahead for us. A world of perfect calm and peace in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, may the Lord help each one of us to take heart in Jesus. The I am. Amen.